You know, if we didn't have Leap Day, then every four years, our calendar would be off schedule with the Earth's rotation by one day every four years. So I did a little quick math, and that means that in 730 years, our calendar would be the exact mirror image of what it is now. In other words, the middle of winter would be the middle of summer and so on. Today, for example, we would have the weather that we would expect on August 29th. Or Christmas Day would feel like June 24th. Or check this out, we'd be celebrating the 4th of July in our parkas and snow boots because it would feel like January 2nd. But then again, we would be ringing in the new year on the beach. And all of that would just be weird, so be glad we have Leap Day. Good morning, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, EVs 101. Why are automakers and the government forging ahead when it seems obvious that consumers aren't ready? Industry veteran James Bell dispels some of the persistent misconceptions about electric vehicles and their place in our automotive future. Also this morning, Medicare open enrollment ended weeks ago, but for many, the confusion doesn't end there, which is why there is help available year-round. We'll tell you more. And it's time once again to go bowling for kids with the Children's Mentoring Connection. There's a new twist this year, but one thing hasn't changed. It's about the kids, not about the bowling. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Thursday, February 29th, 2024. See, now I mentioned this uh, earlier in the week. Uh, ahead of Leap Day, I think we should all have the day off today. I mean, it is an extra day. You know, uh, the the boss uh, only expects 365 days uh, in the calendar. We get an extra day. It should be our day. It should be our day. When we when we uh, fall back and, and add an hour of time, uh, we get the extra hour to sleep. We don't add it in the middle of the workday. We get the extra hour. I think it should be the same thing with the day. I don't think anyone should have to work on February 29th. It's an extra day. It should be ours. And yet here we are. <laughs> By the way, speaking of, uh, speaking of that, uh, uh, you know that after the pandemic, uh, there was this big push for a four-day work week. And in Great Britain, they did a, a test run of this. They enlisted 61 countries to take part in a six-month pilot program um and the results are in i mean this uh, pilot program uh, came to an end long ago but i i have the results here there's a report on this uh the latest report on the uh, pilot program in great britain 54 per, uh 54 of the 61 companies 89 percent said the four-day work week policy is still in place uh even today while 31 firms, 51% say they have permanently switched to a four-day working week. Uh, the companies involved were invited to take part in a follow-up study one year on from the world's biggest trial of a shorter working week to date. The results, published by the think tank Autonomy, showed that all of the consulted project managers and CEOs, all of them said a four-day week had a positive impact on their organization with more than half describing the impact as very positive. So, and it was only 61 companies, but uh, early returns, I don't know if that's ever really going to change anything. 
But I mean, come on, give us the 29th. That's, that's all we're really asking. Every day, we have to have something to worry about, be fearful of. And here is today's story. What we need to uh, worry about. Apparently, a new mosquito-borne illness has made its way to the United States. Just ahead of spring and summer mosquito season. New mosquito-borne illness has made its way to the United States. And this one has a uh, rather embarrassing side effect. (laughs) If you can track this mosquito-borne illness, it can result in long-lasting, spontaneous... Mm, how do I word this? I want to, you know, it's a family program, so I want to be, you know that uh, problem that Viagra is supposed to solve? Yeah, that's what this does. Long-lasting, spontaneous. <clears throat> it is also associated with fever, rashes, and internal bleeding, but it's the long-lasting, spontaneous, you know what, that uh, doctors recently noted a patient Suffering from this, uh, had an 18-hour-long episode without any external stimulation, is the way they put it. 18 hours! (laughs) Uh, Cases have been reported in Florida, Texas, California, West Virginia, New York, North Carolina, Arizona, Massachusetts, and Washington, D.C. So, it's out there. Are you happy to see me or just a mosquito bite you? That's... <laughs> so there you go. That's what we have to uh, to worry about, this uh, new mosquito-borne illness that can cause 18-hour spontaneous... <clears throat> uh, if that's not enough, I thought this was kind of interesting on the uh, Newswire this morning. Again, one of those doom and gloom stories, because we have to have them. And uh, I would f- I would feel like we weren't doing our duty... We're doing our due diligence if we didn't report on these. Uh, while psychopaths are usually depicted as men in popular media, research out of the United Kingdom now suggests that there may be more women psychopaths than previous be- previously believed. <laughs> Current estimates have male psychopaths outnumbering females six to one. However, Dr. Clive Bobby believes that these studies did not identify women psychopaths because they tend to display different characteristics than men who are psychopaths. Gender bias may also play a role, the doctor says. He estimates that there are five times more female psychopaths than previously believed. Female psychopaths tend to use words rather than violence to achieve their aims, differing from how male psychopaths tend to operate. Female psychopaths, while not as severely psychopathic or uh, psychopathic as often as males are, have nevertheless been underestimated, he said. Underestimated. Female psychopaths out there than previously believed. Very important uh, stuff to know. (laughs) I just, I have to report these things. Some of the other uh, most (laughs) most interesting and buzzworthy stories... Uh, of the day, a Tulane University study uh, analyzing health information of over 500,000 adults has found that those living close to a fast food joint have a 16% higher risk of heart failure when compared to those who do not. <laughs> no kidding. 
you live close to a fast food joint, you have a 16% higher risk of heart failure. Uh, pubs and bars were also associated with a higher risk of heart failure. Uh, previous research has also linked proximity to fast food with type 2 diabetes and obesity. Uh, researchers highlight the importance of fighting heart disease in the community at the community level. Uh, Dr. Eduardo Sanchez says consuming a healthy diet is too hard for many people. Historically, excluded people suffer the consequences of poor quality diets at disproportionate levels. So basically, uh, and this is not a surprise, I mean, it's not the proximity. It's not just living near a fast food restaurant that causes you to have a greater risk of heart failure. It's because you live near the uh, fast food restaurant, you are more likely to consume more fast food. That's the, it's not just living there. Difference between causation and correlation there, but uh, nonetheless, kind of... (laughs) Interesting. From the file of duh, yeah, if you live close to a fast food restaurant, you're probably going to eat more fast food. And that's not going to be good for you. Uh, In a similar uh, report, I saw this uh, story the other day on the uh, Newswire. And this is a study out of China. They found that five years after marriage, men tend to eat more and exercise less. Um, Marriage was connected to a significant effect on body mass index, BMI, as married men are more likely to be overweight or obese. Interestingly, a similar trend was not observed in married women. It's only married men that basically let themselves go after they get married because they don't have to anymore. They don't have to attract a female. I already already got a wife. I don't have to be impressive. Women, on the other hand, feel uh, that they can't let themselves go. It's kind of interesting. Um... Men are facing a significant risk of obesity as they age, so after marriage, it is important that they don't let themselves go by maintaining healthy eating habits and exercising regularly. This is uh, according to the uh, study author, the Chinese Academy of Social Sciences. The phenomenon is sometimes referred to as happy fat. (laughs) All right, so guys, don't let yourself go just because you now found a mate. You still need to uh, pay attention to your health. And women, apparently, are already doing that kind of thing. And uh, finally, among the first things you need to know, the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your day started, you know that if, if you were a celebrity, being online with a social media presence these days is pretty much a requirement. I mean, you have to be online to maintain your... Uh, image in the public eye and a lot of people on social media will parlay that presence their popularity on social media into uh, a way to make money with sponsored i mean companies especially with celebrities will pay celebrities um well very prominent people on social media will companies will pay them to use their products and brag about them uh, online and uh, celebrities, there is a, a new rank, uh, ranking, the online, the Australian Online Casino Guide, Best AU Casino Sites. I don't know anything about it. It's an online, online casino in Australia. But anyway, they looked into uh, Instagram profiles for the top celebrity power couples to determine how much potential earning power they have. And at the top of the list... Actor Timothy Chalamet and his new squeeze, Kylie Jenner. 
Between them, they have 431 million followers and thus deemed the most potentially influential couple. People Magazine recently said a single post from Kylie Jenner is the equivalent of $1 million worth of traditional advertising. Million dollars a post. Literally, million dollar posts. Coming in second with the most um, earning power with their posts. Uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson and his wife, Lauren Hashane. Is that how you pronounce it? Hashane? Uh, together, they boast some 397 million combined followers. But The Rock does most of the heavy lifting. Um, the wrestler-turned-movie star plugs his many entrepreneurial ventures uh, on his social media platforms. So he does a lot of uh, plugging. And he could, if he were being paid to do so, he could potentially make up to $830,000 per sponsored post, according to the uh, website study here. Third place belongs to Kim Kardashian and Odell Beckham Jr., relatively new power couple on the list, with a combined 300, nearly 382 million followers. Kim is the big draw here. She could earn a maximum of $777,000 per sponsored post, while Odell could earn up to 76000 Fourth place went to Zendaya and actor Tom Holland, over 251 million followers, uh, 184 million of those are hers. Uh, she could make $461,000 per post if she so desired, because not all of them do. Um, and uh, Tom Holland has around 66 million followers. Uh, Kevin Hart and his wife, Iniko round out the top five with 183.5 million followers combined. And Kevin Hart reportedly makes up to $452,000 per sponsored post, according to the data. So how about that? I mean, that's some serious money, some serious influence uh, many of those uh, people have. And I, I think that's worth knowing, you know, just what's in play when those celebrities plug stuff on their social media. Platforms, interesting stuff. Some of the uh, most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Thursday morning started here. WFIN News, I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather, partly to mostly sunny today with high around 40, mostly clear tonight, a low around 30. A former Ohio House speaker who was sentenced to 20 years behind bars in the first energy corruption case is appealing his conviction. Larry Householder was found guilty of orchestrating a $60 million bribery scheme to bail out First Energy. It is the largest bribery scheme in Ohio history. Householder has already appealed his prison sentence. According to court documents, Householder's attorneys claim he was used as a scapegoat. I'm Yolanda Harris. The Finley-Hancock County Public Library has been undergoing some changes to freshen things up. One of the big changes still to come is the moving of the circulation desk back further to give visitors more room in the entryway. And to do that, the library will have to close for one day on Thursday, March 7th. I think it'll be very exciting. You'll walk in. It won't be so crowded and congested right when you enter the main level. The staff will be able to see you clearly and greet you. And hopefully you'll feel like this library is an inviting and exciting place to visit. Library Director Sarah Clevedon says some of the changes they've already made, they've added some color to the walls, removed the security gates, 
and also added a welcome window that welcomes people to the library and all the languages spoken in Finley. Get more in the story on our website. Blanchard Valley Health System says it'll be discontinuing open-heart surgery while at the same time increasing its emphasis on preventative and interventional cardiovascular services. BVHS says it'll partner with other health systems to transition open-heart surgery cases diagnosed at BVHS. BVHS says it's committed to continuing to support seamless transitions of care through access to local cardiovascular physicians and post-operative rehabilitation services. Get more in the story on our website. Finley Mayor Christina Mern will deliver her State of the City Address tonight. It'll be held at the Fisher Art Gallery at the Marathon Center for the Performing Arts beginning at 6. Community members are invited to attend. Remember, you can always get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. Well, something of a follow-up this morning to a story we were talking about earlier this month about the pushback on those proposed new EPA emissions rules that critics say would be a de facto ban on gas-powered vehicles in the future. Because while electric vehicles are gaining in popularity, you're seeing more of them on the road, they still remain just a fraction of overall vehicle sales. And many consumers still have questions even as manufacturers forge ahead. James Bell is a 20-year industry veteran who is currently head of corporate communications at Kia America. And James, it's been a while since we've spoken to you, but you have always been a straight shooter with us about your industry. So let me ask this question first off. Why is there such a push to EVs when it seems as though the public just isn't there yet? I'll make this super simple. You want a straight shot? Here it comes. (laughs) Uh, It's not dissimilar from the transition from horse-drawn carriages to Hmm. gasoline-powered vehicles 100-plus years ago. We are living through a transitional time. We humans are often not good at transitional times. (laughs) And this is not going to be a straight, uh, smooth road. Uh, This is going to be bumpy. This is going to have curves. But the point is, and I'm going to use a bad electrification cliche here, the switch has been flipped. And so, you know, we're not, electric vehicles are not going to go away. The investment of them in them is not going to go away. Uh, Gasoline powered, I heard you in your intro there, gasoline powered uh, vehicles are not going to be legislated away. I I don't know how that's become a bit of a political football. That's just not the case. The industry is moving towards a space where emissions must be reduced. uh, And that's on a global basis from Mm -hmm. Asia to Europe to America. You know, obviously, this is a global issue and fuel efficiency standards are rising. Well, how do you increase your fuel efficiency standards? You don't use fuel. Yeah. And that's why we see, you know, the a, a continued strength of hybrid vehicles also. Yeah. Uh, hybrids and plug-in hybrids are, are running off the shelves right now. So we, we are in a transitional time. It won't be simple. It won't be a straight line up, but it is going up. And it's going to happen. So what is the first thing that consumers need to know about electric vehicles? Is range anxiety still the biggest hurdle? Is that the biggest question you get from consumers? Um, okay, I'm going to answer your question two different ways. First off, I think we're in a bit of a transition phase from range anxiety to charging infrastructure anxiety. Mm. Uh, the vehicles today, I mean, I think of in, in our lineup at Kia, we've got the EV6 that's very affordable, about $40,000 and, thir- and uh, over 300 miles on a charge. Average American drives about 28, 30 miles per day. 
I'm not good at math, but that tells me right there that I've got more than enough power to, to drive for a better part of a week, if not longer. Yeah. So, but I do think, so we're, we're moving away from range anxiety into infrastructure anxiety. And that's where things are really going to get interesting. Please have me on your, on your show. Uh, eight, well, I hope many times, but at least <laughs> about a year from now, because yeah. the amount of investment and the amount of charging stations we're going to see start popping up across corridors all across the country is going to be shocking. Uh, but I think most important, if somebody's considering an EV or listening to us talk about this, they have to have a quiet moment with themselves and say to say to themselves, okay, what am I really going to use this next vehicle for? There's something very funny about the American car buying psyche. I need a vehicle that's got room for seven friends. I'm going to go climb mountains. I'm going to, uh, you know, drive a hundred miles an hour. I've got yeah. all these, these highfalutin ideas or how I'm going to use my car. Well, I got news for you. You're not doing those things. You're, you're commuting to work. You're picking the kids up at school. Yeah, you're running off to Costco on occasion. Mm. Uh, you're going to grandma's house. Th- these are not, these are all things that can be easily done by electric vehicles and done with uh, relieving you the pressure from an economic perspective of buying fuel and from the cost of ownership perspective. No more oil changes. Right. No more tune ups. Right. No more uh, warranty work. You know, it just, it really lightens the load of your transportation uh, part of your life. And so if you're honest with yourself, it becomes a pretty obvious choice. Let me ask you about a couple of things that I know are that you hear quite often that are misperceptions. There are the questions about the inefficiency of the batteries in the wintertime affecting range and affecting the quality of the charge. And Uh that's not necessarily uh, some of that is not necessarily a misperception. uh, But that whole question of what if my battery dies and leaves me stranded in the snow? Yeah, well, we, we had a great example of that recently, didn't we? With, uh, I think it was in the Chicago area with yeah. a collection of, of EVs and especially Tesla vehicles being uh, uh, caught out, so to say. A um, couple things at play. First off, uh, in, in the case of, of the Chicago situation, uh, Tesla vehicles and all electric vehicles, they have something that's called preconditioning the battery, basically keeping them a little bit using some of the power a very small amount to kind of keep the the fluids that surround the batteries to keep them happy, keep them warm. And so uh, in the, in the case of that situation in Chicago, we had a lot of people who did not precondition their batteries and therefore there was a problem. Yeah. Uh, You know, just from a a physical perspective, yes, you're going to have um, in cold weather situations because of battery chemistries today, some negative impact, but there's ways to mitigate that. Uh, in the case of all Kia vehicles, we our vehicles come with something called an electric heat pump, which basically um, not only uh, provides electric uh, powered heat for the uh, cabin of the vehicle to keep cuffs uh, the uh, um, occupants comfortable, but then also to m- make that whole electric powertrain as efficient as possible. Yeah. So again, you know, we're in a transitional phase. Um, you know, ho- I'm sure those horse-drawn carriages didn't love it in the cold either. And so things, <laughs> Good point. Things will work their way out. The other, uh, but uh, it's um, it's going to happen. The other big question that I always hear from skeptics, I'm sure you do too. What about battery degradation over time? I have to replace my phone every couple yep. of years because the battery holds less and less of a charge, and an electric vehicle is like thirty or forty times more expensive than my phone. Two things. Number one, huge warranties on um uh, on electric powertrains in the case of uh, a kia vehicle it's uh over one hundred fifty thousand miles just on the electric powertrain itself 
So, you know, we, we basically uh, bear that burden. Secondly, uh, the, the uh, computing technology that goes into managing the power as it's going in, as you're charging the battery, and also as you're using it to drive down the road is much more advanced. You mentioned cell phones. The, the, the problem and why we have degradation in our cell phone batteries is, well, what do we do? We come home at night, we put on the charge, and it fills up overnight, and it stays filled overnight, and then we take it off the charge, and we run it down to the bottom, and then we charge at the top again. Batteries hate that life. They like to be somewhere in the middle. And with gas, I'm sorry, with electric vehicles, we have, um, you know, obviously much more advanced computing power that you can put into a car, but you can't put into a phone and manage that power uh, input and output much more comfortably. In fact, on my electric vehicle, I have it set up so it will, um, you know, manage my charging in a way that maximizes battery life. So there's, it, it just, you know, between the, knowing how batteries uh, work their best and having this, um, these extended warranties from the manufacturers, we just, just don't, don't see that as a problem. And from a, a durability perspective, essentially, you know, batteries, the only thing that can go wrong is if there might be some little manufacturing mishap, maybe, mm. you know, <laughs> the, the human uh, who built the battery, maybe, yeah. you know, uh, it, it introduced some sort of contaminant or something. Yeah. Yes, there are issues. But again, that's where the warranty kicks in. Yeah, bottom line, uh, those batteries are designed to outlast the car itself in most cases. Again, James Bell is a 20-year industry veteran, uh, head of corporate communications at Kia America. You've got a lot more information about your product line and and some of the uh, uh, actual facts about electric vehicles on your website, right? Yeah, that's right. I recommend, I mean, uh, I know I'm a little biased, but go to (laughs) kia.com. And uh, we've got a section on there where you can plug in all your variables, your personal variables. You know, I need room for this many people. I need uh, all-wheel drive. Uh, I need this kind of range. Plug in all those factors, and it'll come back with a great selection of choices. James Bell with an EV101 course for us this morning. James, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. And pleasure's all mine. Thank you. So obviously we are well past the open enrollment deadline for Medicare, but for many, the confusion doesn't end there. This is a big year for Medicare as well. And joining us this morning is Rebecca Kinney, Director of the Office of Healthcare Information and Counseling at the Administration for Community Living, which is under the umbrella, the Federal Department of Health and Human Services. And Rebecca, the the ACL, actually, the Administration for Community Living, is actually relatively new in case people haven't heard of it before. First of all, kind of explain your mission. What is it that you do? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, Thank you for having me. So the Administration for Community Living, as you said, we're a division under the Health and Human Services, and we were created to pull together uh, the the programs and services that HHS provides uh, focused on older adults and persons with disabilities across the lifespan. And our mission is really to, to support programs and services nationally that can help older adults and individuals with disabilities stay active, connected, engaged uh, in their communities and able to access the benefits and services they need in order to do so. So we oversee a very large portfolio of primarily grant-based programs where Mm -hmm. we fund states and local community-based organizations to provide those services. And part of that, as you were describing, is to help people understand and take full advantage of their Medicare benefits, right? 
Exactly. So my office oversees a, a set of programs that help people with Medicare, as you said, really access, understand, enroll in Medicare benefits. And uh, the main program I wanted to talk about today is the State Health Insurance Assistance Program, mm-hmm. also known as the State SHIP, S-H-I-P. And the SHIP is a program that is, we have a program in every state, D.C., Puerto Rico, Guam, and the U.S. Virgin Islands. And it's really focused on helping Medicare beneficiaries understand, enroll in, and access their Medicare benefits. Um, as you mentioned, open enrollment in the fall is a prime time where everybody on Medicare is looking at their plan options and mm-hmm. really trying to determine what choice do I need to make for the next year. But outside of that enrollment pe- period, people often have questions with billing. Maybe something wasn't covered that you thought should have been, or you're seeing charges on your summary notice that you don't remember getting, um, or maybe you're having a hard time paying for your Medicare premiums, copays, or whatnot. The ship can help navigate all of those things and uh, can help sort out billing issues, can help navigate potential fraud cases and get it to investigators, and also help with uh, programs that help people with limited income and assets get enrolled in things that will help them pay for their Medicare. So it's important to know that we're available year-round if you have Medicare questions or issues. Yeah, and we mentioned that this is a big year for Medicare, a number of changes and benefit enhancements, so some people may not fully be aware of all of them. Uh, What are some of the examples? Yeah, so some prime examples of recent changes. Um, The first one I'm going to touch on is the insulin copay. So in 2023, there were changes to Medicare where now if you're using an insulin product, um, so uh, insulin, you will you'll be capped a copay at $35 per month per insulin product. So whether you use a, a pump or you self-administer insulin, you should not pay more than $35 a month for your insulin, which is a huge savings for folks who um, yeah. may have been paying much higher copays for insulin in the past. Another change that has happened is uh, coverage of vaccines. So uh, there changes have been made to ensure that Medicare will cover all uh, approved vaccines for adults on the schedule um, that is is required. So like annual flu vaccine, for example, but also shingles. Um, The two-part shingles vaccine is now covered on Medicare. RSV is covered on Medicare. And so it's important for folks to know that those benefits are available. It doesn't matter what plan you're enrolled in. You should be able to access those vaccines free of charge free of copay. Uh, and so um, we want folks to know about that so yeah. that they can they can go get those vaccines if they haven't yet. Yeah, There's a lot of changes I can run through. But another big change is an expansion of one of the low income benefits um, for folks who are really struggling to pay for their prescription drug costs starting January 1st. Um, the, the coverage available for folks that qualify is uh, has increased. So folks who maybe are struggling to pay the Part D premium and maybe co-pays at the pharmacy should really contact our program to see if you're eligible because it could reduce your Part D premium down to zero and significantly reduce the co-pays that you're paying at the pharmacy to, you know, a little over $3 for some medications, um, you know, $7, $8 for others. But again, can make a really big difference if you find yourself in that category. Yeah. So uh, talking about just some of the examples of uh, new features new programs, new benefits that are available uh, through Medicare that you may or may not be aware of. And again, there is help 
available throughout the year. We mention again, referencing the open enrollment period back in the fall. What about those who are coming into Medicare outside of the traditional annual enrollment window? Can you help with that as well? Yes, we help a lot of folks who are newly eligible for Medicare throughout the year. And frankly, when you're new to Medicare, those are the cases where we might spend several hours over a course of a couple different appointments to really help you understand what, how does Medicare work and what are the decisions and choices that I have to make? Yeah. And so, uh, absolutely, we are available to help with that um, year-round. And, and um, also, if you've moved you could qualify to mm. make changes too. So that's another thing to keep in mind. Um, we can help determine if you're eligible to make changes outside of open enrollment and uh, get you connected to the plan that works best for you. And does this apply specifically to those with traditional Medicare or would this include those who have, for example, so-called advantage plans uh, as well? Great question. So our program is available to help everyone on Medicare, no matter how you're getting that Medicare, whether you're in original Medicare, have a retiree plan, or are using a Medicare Advantage plan, um, or want to uh, get a Medigap plan. We help with all of the above, really anything Medicare related. We also help those that are eligible for Medicare and Medicaid. So those that uh, receive the state benefits for those that uh, have limited income and assets. We help them as well. So um, really anything Medicare-related we can assist with. So bottom line is, if it's about Medicare and it's a question, you can probably uh, uh, help folks or or guide folks in the uh, right direction. So then the next logical question, how do people get more information and reach out for help? Yes, thank you. Yes, absolutely. So we can help with anything Medicare related. And to find the program available to you locally, uh, we encourage you to go to our website, uh, shiphelp.org. That's one word, S-H-I-P-H-E-L-P.org. So shiphelp.org. Uh, you can uh, use our SHIP locator to get connected to the program that's in your state using our website. Or you can call our toll-free number, which will also connect you to your local program. That phone number is 877-839-2675. Again, Rebecca Kinney is Director of the Office of Healthcare Information and Counseling at the Administration for Community Living. Rebecca, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me. This is Good Mornings with Chris Oaks on 1330 WFIN, WFIN.com and 95.5 FM. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Our dumb criminal of the day comes from Memphis, Tennessee. The suspect, DeAndre Rogers, who was under police surveillance, is now in jail uh, after stopping for gas while trying to flee police. Uh, Mr. Rogers had outstanding warrants, uh, and he was under police surveillance when he tried to flee the cops at a high rate of speed. Uh, the high-speed pursuit, though, ended when he stopped for gas. <laughs> well, you know, hey, eventually you're going to run out of fuel. <laughs> Stop for gas. Don't mind me. We'll we'll pick this up here in just a moment. I just have to get some gas. Uh, Mr. <laughs> Mr. Rogers was surrounded by police. At the Kroger gas station there in Memphis, took off on foot before being arrested in a nearby KFC parking lot. Uh, he was booked into the Shelby County Jail on several charges. <laughs> if you're going to run from the cops, make sure you've gassed up before the pursuit begins because you really don't have time to stop for gas during. 
the uh, lesson that we learned from that story. <laughs> if you've ever wondered what happens, you know, in a high-speed pursuit, what happens when they run out of gas? Well, now you know. In this case. Uh, remember the uh, story yesterday about the uh, woman who was pulled over, and I can't even remember where this was now, but uh, she had uh, uh, contraband turtles in her Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles bag, and then she pulled a foot-long alligator out of her yoga pants. Uh, well, not to be outdone, in uh, Hillsboro, Oregon, the Washington County Sheriff's Office said they tried to stop a car for a traffic violation when the driver took off. Uh, another high-speed chase. When they caught up with her, they found 10 grams of methamphetamine, a handgun, another drug paraphernalia. Uh, when the uh, woman was uh, Savannah Salyers, her name, Savannah Salyers, when Ms. Salyers was booked into the Washington County Jail, deputies then found an additional 26 grams of meth hidden in her underwear. Yeah. Hidden in her underwear. See, this is... This is why you just can't trust street drugs. You, just, you never know where these, these things have been. In her underwear, a charge of supplying contraband was uh, added to her long list of charges there. Elsewhere in the broken news, in Arlington, Texas, police are actually the subject of the uh, broken news story as they became temporary goat herders recently. <laughs> Cops turned goat herders when nearly 60 goats escaped their enclosure in a city park and took over local neighborhoods. <laughs> the escapees were part of a group of 450 goats that had been brought in a week earlier as a cost-saving and eco-friendly way to help clear underbrush at the Crystal Canyon Natural Area in uh, there in Arlington, Texas. <laughs> At a park, they needed to clean the underbrush, so they brought in 450 goats, and some 60 of them escaped the invaders. <laughs> uh, maybe you want to rethink the idea of bringing in hundreds of goats to clear the underbrush and just go with mowers. Uh, the invading goats ended up going through people's yards as part of their exploration. Uh, when they made a break for it, they eventually were wrangled up about 30 minutes after escaping and were reunited with the rest of the herd. <laughs> Cops turned goat herders. <laughs> uh, let's see. This is kind of cool, actually. Uh, workers on a construction project in New Jersey discovered a James Bond message in a bottle from 1966. Quite literally, a James Bond message. Uh, the company Jersey Heritage reported that their workers were unblocking a fireplace uh, at a uh, historic home and came across a message in a bottle. And inside, the message read 007 James Bond, 26th February, 1966. P.S. Secret agent, don't tell anybody. <laughs> That's what it said. P.S. Secret agent, don't tell anybody. It appears to be uh, to have been written shortly after the release of Thunderball, which of course starred Sean Connery as James Bond. 
whether this came from Sean Connery or I don't know if they've compared the handwriting or they have no idea who wrote it. Uh, the uh, company said, we need your help to shed light on this mysterious note. Anyone with knowledge regarding the note uh, is asked to come forward. <laughs> this is weird. James Bond. James Bond. 007. Secret agent. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> kind of clever. Somebody pulling a joke 60 years ago. Uh, and uh, just now making headlines. Kind of crazy. And a couple of other items here in the uh, broken news this morning from the international file. A resident of the Gold Coast of Australia was left squirming after discovering a venomous snake hanging in a clothes closet. Tim Hudson, who fortunately is a professional snake catcher. So if a snake's going to be in anyone's closet, you want it to be in the closet of a professional snake catcher. Uh, He recorded on video... Uh, his removal of a small-eyed snake from a kid's closet in Queensland. He said it was the first time he had removed an eastern small-eyed snake uh, from, uh, from hanging clothes. He said they do have climbing abilities, but this is the first time, you know, he found one hanging in a closet amongst, uh, amongst the clothes. And in a kid's room, no less. The uh, Queensland Environmental Department describes the species as dangerously venomous and should be avoided. Uh, Although Mr. Hudson says that they are very disciplined and would probably only bite if someone mishandled them roughly. I don't know. Dangerously venomous, though. I'm not taking my chances. Uh, Mr. Hudson says they have a unique venom that destroys muscle tissue, causes major organs to shut down. But there is an anti-venom available. But how crazy is that? I mean, another story there. Everything in Australia can kill you. And everything in Australia can kill you. Hanging in a kid's closet. Wow. And finally, in the uh, broken news, this from Glasgow, Scotland. (laughs) Where? What is the first... uh, What is the first rule if you are planning... Uh, some sort of festival or special event or, or something like that. You under-promise and over-deliver, right? You don't do it the other way around. You don't over-promise and under-deliver. But that's what happened with a Willy Wonka chocolate experience in uh, Glasgow. Uh, it was billed, and is no way uh, not connected to the Willy Wonka franchise, but it was uh, advertised as sort of a similar type of chocolate factory experience, right? Uh, the way it was billed, uh, they were going to use colorful images generated by AI to create an experience filled with wondrous creations and a journey with enchanting surprises at every turn. Admission, $40 ahead for this Experience of wondrous creations and enchanting journey with surprises at every turn. When people got there, though, it was basically a big warehouse with uh, candy images, uh, candy scenes taped to a wall, uh, a few, uh, a few sculptures, a couple of inflatables, and cups of lemonade. Uh, one parent who paid the $40 ahead for this uh, <clears throat> experience, Stuart Sinclair, his name, 
uh, called the experience an absolute shambles in his video. Children could be heard crying in the background. (laughs) Police actually were called in, although they really couldn't do anything. The company behind the experience has offered full refunds to their guests. (laughs) Uh, Over-promising and under-delivering. That will get you into trouble every time. Wow. There you go. That is today's Broken News Report, an update of the odd and unusual side of the headlines. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Do you know an exceptional teacher who's made a positive impact in your life or the life of a student? It's time to shine a bright spotlight on these educational heroes with the Finley Rotary Golden Apple Awards. Nominate your favorite teacher from Finley or Hancock County online at finleyrotary.org before April 5th. Nominate an outstanding educator for the Golden Apple Awards. Make a difference. Honor a teacher by visiting finleyrotary.org today. This message provided by WFIN. And now, your daily download. The numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. A new survey from Credit Sesame, the online financial platform, uh, compared the... uh, Uh, financial knowledge, credit savviness of Gen Z adults versus millennials and found that, in general, Gen Zers, the younger adults, actually have the edge when it comes to credit management and overall financial savviness, I guess, for lack of a better term. Is that a bit of a surprise to you? Now, remember, uh, Gen Zers are those roughly between the ages of 18 to 26. Millennials are now between 27 and 42 years old. So you'd think that you get older, you get more financial knowledge, gain more financial knowledge, and and so on. Uh, but that is not the case in some of the uh, results from this survey. Uh, the average Gen Zer opened a bank account at the age of 19 and got their first credit card at the age of 20. Uh, Meanwhile, the average millennial opened a bank account at 21 and their first credit card at 23. They're getting an earlier start on this. As a matter of fact, overall, two-thirds, 67% of Gen Zers started credit building, active credit building, they said, between the ages of 15 and 20 years of age. Uh, That number uh, was only 37% for millennials that started uh, building their credit that young. Um, One thing that I thought was interesting that uh, they have in common, uh, 33% overall of these young adults, both uh, millennials and Gen Zers, 33% still believe that checking their credit score will impact their credit. It does not. It does not impact your credit. And you also do not have to maintain a balance on your credit cards to maintain a good credit score. That's another common misperception. This is kind of interesting. 92% of the respondents in the survey overall would prefer to have excellent credit instead of 50,000 followers on social media. So we do recognize the importance of this. But I also thought it was kind of interesting, again, when you're digging into some of the numbers about how younger people, younger generations approach the idea of money, finances, banking, and so on. 43% of young adults prefer to bank online 
and 28% say they actually feel judged for banking in person. (laughs) They actually feel judged for banking in person. Uh, Adrian Nazari of Credit Sesame says, what we found through, through this survey is that while young people are often misperceived financially, they overwhelmingly understand that having good credit is the key to financial wellness. So maybe there's a little hope for the younger generations yet. So it is time once again to go bowling for kids with a children's mentoring connection. There is a new twist this year to talk about. Stacey Shaw is with us from the Children's Mentoring Connection, along with Jennifer Hammond. And ladies, thanks very much for dropping by today. We appreciate it. Good morning, Chris. Good morning. So, uh, first of all, all of the uh, details coming up at the end of March, right? Yes, the end of March. So, we are just on the cusp of March starting tomorrow, and (laughs) we are ready to go, and hopefully it will be bringing spring. But we're going to be March 23rd and 24th. So, once again, we'll be at the AMS Sportsman Lanes. Um, for that weekend. You mentioned, uh, hopefully you bring the uh, spring. This is another one of those events that comes around uh, every, when it comes around, I always get excited as much because I know that spring is right around the corner yes. as anything else. But. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> We're certainly hoping for that. Yeah. Um, and I think maybe that's part of the fun too, is it gives gives people a, a chance, an excuse to get out and, and, and start doing things again. As we mentioned, there is a new twist this year. Yes. Yeah, so absolutely. So along with, you may have heard there's an eclipse coming. <laughs> Um, and so you might've heard a thing or two. And so to go along with that theme a little bit, our twist on that is to have glow bowling this year. Okay. And so we are going to be bowling under the black lights. So we have, um, special t-shirts that we're going to have that our, um, t-shirt sponsor is marathon this year. And so we're going to have neon t-shirts that will glow under the black lights (laughs) and just really, just really embracing the excitement to kind of get things kicked off. That will be an awful lot of fun. But one thing, as we were mentioning, earlier, one thing that has not changed, is never changed uh, about Bowling for Kids, is that it's about the kids, not really about the bowling, which is probably a good thing for many of us. But uh, Jennifer, talk a little bit about why this is uh, so important. You can you can speak kind of firsthand Correct. to the important work of uh, the Children's Mentoring Connection. Correct. So I've been in the program since I was eight years old in 1980. And I can say from experience that it has a huge impact on children in the community. And I still talk to my big to this day. So it's been many, many years. And it just goes to show that um, the impact that it has on on the children and and how great of an organization this really is. You've got a lot of stories like that where uh, folks can continue to remain connected long after they have, uh, you know, aged out of the uh, out of the program. Yes, that's really one of the unique things about a program like ours is we're making those connections, but we're really just planting the seeds because we know that they can just go for forever. I mean, mm-hmm. we have people, you know, who have been matched like Jenny and then others, you know, 40 years that they've stayed connected. Um, and so it all started with a very small amount of time invested with our program, but just getting that relationship kicked off with two individuals that never would have probably run into each other mm-hmm. um, and just help helping them get started and being that support, not only to the child, but also a support to the family as well. Jenny, you said you were, what, eight years old when I was, you yes. came into the uh, program? 
did you realize at the time that this was as important and significant as it was? I mean, absolutely. No, I, I, you know, I thought it was just a way to kind of give my mom a break now and then, you know, to to (laughs) go out and have some fun. And, you know, and I always say that my big, she, uh, she was real big into antiquing and she always wanted to take me antiquing. I thought it was the silliest thing in the world. And now I'm a big antiquer. (laughs) I love to go antiquing. So it's, it's those little things, the the little impacts that it has. And you don't think that's going to be that way. That's uh, the reason I kind of bring this up because we've talked about it before those connections the things that the uh, that the mentors and mentees do as part of the program are not always you know real big uh, bold things. Right. Sometimes it's just, you know, picking you up and, and taking you out to lunch. Um, mm-hmm. We, when we first were matched, we went to Taco Bell. So every year on our <laughs> anniversary, we would go to Taco Bell. And it's those little things, you know, that you remember just going to the park or going for a walk or, you know, it's just that, that time together that has an impact on, on the children. And, and then that's why it's so important. Now, bowling for kids is one of, if not the biggest uh, fundraiser that you do uh, every year. Right? Yes. Yeah, so we have two signature events. In the spring, we have bowling for kids, and in the fall, we have our uncorked and unplugged. Mm-hmm. But really, these are key and vital um, vital opportunities and events for us because we don't charge our families, um, and we also don't charge the schools that we partner with, so our services. So we are a United Way partner agency, but beyond that, um, we are able to be funded through you know contributions from donors in the community, but really from these two events are really what makes the programming possible and makes us to be able to support and offer the those at no cost to those families to give people an idea how much uh, how much funding you're hoping to raise from this particular event. So this year, going along with our 50th anniversary, um, we would like to raise double the 50. So we're hoping to raise a hundred thousand dollars. So it's so it's, it's a, a pretty lofty lift. goal. Yeah. Um, but uh, we know that we have very generous supporters in the community. This is our 41st year of doing this, and really, there's so much fun involved in it um, that you know the teams come. We still do have openings for teams to register so we want to make sure people get in and and get registered and are part of that celebration and and we're hoping to reconnect um you know as we have with jenny and erlene year after year um with some of those people so a special thing we have this year is a marathon or not marathon excuse me the uh, millstream credit union mm-hmm. has um sponsored a mentor lane for us so that is open for current matches to ball but also we're hoping to bring back people who have been a part of our program before so if there's any listeners out there they can get involved even if even if both you know the big and the little isn't there but if one of them would like to join us uh just give us a call so we may have a uh, bowling for kids reunion absolutely absolutely um so 41st year uh for bowling for kids and you mentioned it's the agency's 50th anniversary so you can do the math it's been around since almost the beginning yes Absolutely. Uh, Let's get the uh, details in here on how folks can sign up because there is still time to do that. Yes, there is still time to sign up. Um, We do have a couple of shifts that are filling up. So each week, each day there are three shifts 11 a one or a three so you sign up for that and you can either go to our website which is cmchancock.org and go to the events tab and then there'll be links to get you there to get registered or you can just give us a call at our office and we would be happy to get you started what does it take to put a team together um so it's five people joining together and that can be 
coworkers, it can be friends, it can be family, it can be neighbors. We also have some battles within it. So we have a battle of the dentist that we started this year. So whichever <laughs> dentist office raises the most funds gets to keep a wonderful trophy for the year and bragging rights to go along with that. Okay. So we have some other battles of people who have participated, like the battle of the badges and um, the brokerages. So we, we've got some fun things built within that. You mentioned that there are a number of different shifts over the, the course of the two days. Um, and, and folks can pick the shift as long as it's not filled up. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right yeah. now, if you want to bowl um, the first shift at 11 on Saturday, that one is almost full, but we do have room yeah. on the other one. So, um, you know, so the sooner you get it in, the more flexibility yeah. you have for the time that works best yeah, for you. That uh, that was the, the point. That right. You can sign up for the one that you want, but it, only if there's openings. So right. obviously the sooner, the, the better. And uh, again, hoping to raise $100,000 for the work that uh, Children's Mentoring Connection does and you know jenna as you were mentioning you can't say speak highly enough for the the work that uh cmc does for anyone who may be interested in you know learning more becoming a mentor or know somebody who could should be a mentee yes yes it's 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 very important um like i said it, it big impact on the children and and the mentors i I mean you know it fills fills space in in people's lives uh, whether you're a mentor or a mentee so it is uh stacy there is more information on the website right yep cmchancock.org and click on the events tab it'll take you right there we also have a link up at our webpage at goodmornings.net again uh, stacy shaw jennifer hammond thanks very much for uh, dropping by ladies we appreciate it thank you and that will finish up our podcast for today. I want to thank all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. Remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each and every day on the show at our webpage, and that is goodmornings.net. Coming up tomorrow to finish up the week, even as families are dealing with the headaches of FAFSA this year, there are even more changes for college-bound students. Beginning in 2024, the traditional SAT exam is going fully digital. We'll explain. Plus, Representative Bob Latta will join us to talk about avoiding a government shutdown, the battle over securing the border, and America's role in supporting conflicts overseas. So until tomorrow morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. Catch you back here tomorrow.